host of this month's episode of the BookNet Canada podcast is Shimana Hirschberg. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the research associate at BookNet. I'm recording this in Midtown Toronto on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded land of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Huron-Wendat, and Mississaugas of the New Credit Territory. The land I'm quarantining on is part of the parcel of land collectively referred to as the Toronto Purchase, which applies to all land east of the Browns Line to Woodbine Avenue and north towards Newmarket. This treaty allows non-Indigenous Canadians like myself to live on this land and use the resources. So thank you to the stewards of this land. BookNet Canada endorses the calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada and supports an ongoing shift from gatekeeping to space making in the book industry. We hope that our work helps to create an environment that supports that shift. For this month's podcast, we'll be talking about audiobooks once again. This time, we're diving deep into the audiobook industry in Canada with David Caron and Anne Jansen. Anne, she, her pronouns, works as Director of Audiobook Production at Penguin Random House Canada. And David, he, him, pronouns, works as co-publisher at ECW Press. Tell us, where are you calling in from? What you're grateful for in one word and the longest audiobook you've listened to or worked on? Let's start with Anne. Hi, I am calling in from my apartment in downtown Toronto. If you hear a streetcar, that's because there is one passing by. Um, I am grateful for uh, air conditioning. No, that's two words. Well, then I'll just say the stories that we are living and telling. And the longest audiobook I've ever worked on is First Snow, Last Light by David Johnson. Um, it had four narrators, including Gordon Pinsent, and it was uh, 14 hours plus change. Awesome. David. Um, uh, I am calling in from the ECW office, uh, for which we have a fairly lengthy land acknowledgement on the About Us section of our website. But I'll give you one tidbit, which uh, I find amazing, is that you know, through the stewardship of the Mississaugas of the Credit Nation, they've tried for, for a long time to work out various issues around Treaty 13, the Toronto Purchase, and they finally concluded that in, in 2010. Uh, it took that long. One word, grateful for change. Uh, and longest audiobook uh, is uh, Austin Clark mem- memoir called Membering, which uh, is 24 hours long. Okay, let's start with an overview of the audiobook industry in Canada. Tell us about what's currently happening here in Canada. A great deal is happening here in Canada. David, I think uh, you and ECW Press and many indie presses started a few years back, as did we at Penguin Random House Canada. Um, And in that time, we've seen the industry establish and grow and more and more listeners um, and leading to an audiobook symposium in January, which was really exciting to have people from across the country in various different uh, parts of making and listening to audiobooks. Um, and yeah, so mostly what we're doing is making as many audiobooks as we can to high standards and keeping uh, listeners engaged with Canadian stories. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, it's, say exactly that. It's, a, it's an amazing time right now. Uh, I think there's more interest in doing audiobooks amongst uh, publishers, amongst uh, narrators uh, than ever before. Right now, we have uh, 50 audiobook titles that are in production. Uh, in process, we're doing close to uh, 80 a year now. Um, publishers are engaged. The you know federal government is engaged on on issues of accessibility um, because of what's happening right now with uh, the film industry uh, and just general interest in doing work like audiobooks. Uh, I find that narrators are more available than ever before 
Um, people are working on home studios. Uh, uh, studios are open. And really, I mean, in terms of the marketplace, every month I learn something, you know, amazing and new about what's going on with the listeners of audiobooks uh, in Canada and abroad. So it's, it's just an incredible time. We've been at this for about five years now uh, and never has it, you know, it just keeps a building, building in terms of excitement. So here we are. How do publishers choose which books become audiobooks? So, um, it's a question of both uh, front list and back list. Um, we have kind of a wealth at our disposal now because of, you know, the number of titles in the back list that have not been made into audiobooks. And I know publishers are choosing and we're choosing stuff um, from that back list. And of course, front list titles uh, are are uh, important uh, to just in terms of even questions of accessibility of getting out uh, in audio. Um, for us, in terms of uh, our bespeak uh, list, which is what ECW produces when we license uh, titles from other publishers to produce as audiobooks, um, you know, we're definitely looking to that backlist uh, and recent frontlist in terms of choosing those particular titles. Um, and, and there's such a wealth uh, to choose from. When we started in 2017, we had an ambitious goal for Penguin Random House Canada with the variety of imprints that we have and the number of titles was to as quickly as possible um, produce all our upcoming titles, all our front list titles. So we started in mid-2017. And when I'm talking about um, upcoming titles, I'm talking about narrative, fiction, and nonfiction adult titles. Um, and in 2018, we actually achieved that goal and we were able to uh, do a full roster. Um, we also did some uh, catalog or backlist titles based on anniversaries or an exciting new title coming out from an author uh, who had some great uh, books in the catalog. Um, so we reached those goals and then we started adding into uh, the mix uh, books for middle grade readers and uh, YA books. Um, but just generally in terms of strategy, we definitely want to continue doing all the front list narrative titles. So not so much cookbooks, but uh, um, all the ones with story and that kind of voice. Um, we also have been able to go back and do books like Funny Boy by Cheyenne Salvadori or Half-Breed by Maria, Maria Campbell, um, books by Richard Wagamese. And then we have a couple of exciting anniversaries coming up where we're actually doing audiobooks of uh, slightly older books like uh, Fugitive Pieces by Anne Michaels and Lives of the Saints by Nino Ricci. And I remember reading those when they first came out uh, 20 years ago, I think, or whatever the, the anniversary is. So we're kind of doing a mix of those things and staying on track with continuing to produce uh, all our titles. And what role do licensing and rights play? And how do they relate to distribution, especially subscription services? David, why don't you feel that? Because I'm a little more involved in production and I'll add on. Sure, yeah. And just to clarify, um, you mean like in terms of licensing titles for audiobooks as opposed to licensing um, other copyright material to go into our audiobooks, right? You mean the, the format, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean that's actually our our solution or, or our strategy to do what Anne was talking about, which PRH is, which is uh, to have all of our audio, all of our titles that are suitable for audiobooks get produced as audio. Is we we engage a mixture of both licensing titles to other publishers to produce as well as producing our own. Also, we all we license titles from other publishers to produce, um, and, and I think you know, 
by doing that, uh, hopefully we're going to diversify the, the, the audiobook publishing industry and, and hopefully get into what I would uh, consider the specialization. That is, we might be the right publisher for a certain title and somebody else might be the right publisher as an audiobook publisher for another title, even though we were the print publisher for that. Um, you know, and, and oftentimes how we make the choices is, is one, I mean, I think we're getting known for the kind of uh, literary audiobooks that we're doing. But two, if we have an idea about the kind of voice we want to hear, the kind of narrator we want to have, um, that is typically one where we will produce that audiobook as opposed to see if there's another, pub uh, another audiobook publisher who will license that too. Um, because we'll lose that control, obviously, if we do that. We won't be able to decide on um, the narrator in that particular instance. You know, and I think a, a lot of publishers are looking to, to, to adopt a, a similar kind of strategy. Um, taking a look at the kind of uh, books that they have uh, and which ones for them are they feel strongest about what the narrator needs to be in terms of in terms of that audiobook. Um, how does distribution relate? I think you think about that in terms of um, what markets that audiobook publisher has, and therefore what you would you know how what you would do with that. You know, obvious example is if you were um, you know, licensing an audiobook to Audible, let's say, uh, but it's a book that you knew from your own experience that it was a very strong library, you know, library uh, or strong in, in terms of sales to libraries for that book. It, that it wouldn't be the, I think, the one that you would choose. You might would choose, you know, Recorded or another audiobook publisher to for that one, and then maybe focus your energies on on them licensing another audiobook. That's where I think the distribution aspect comes into play. Mm -hmm. And do you do that when you're buying a book or this comes along later on? Oh, yeah, very much so. That's why for us in terms of licensing, uh, you know, the, the audiobooks that we license, we've been focusing a lot on, on more literary uh, audiobooks because I think we're fairly strong in terms of working with uh, the library services like Overdrive and Hoopla uh, about our books. And you know, I I think that we do a good job with those those books, especially. Um, uh, and and again, I I'm hoping that you know that we'll become known for that over time um, and, and be seen for that. But although we do uh, license a, a, a fair number of nonfiction as well, and and that ends up being something that does fairly well for us in terms of sales. So it's very exciting to see how um, much. Uh, your program, David, and related uh, programs have grown over the years. And for us, we've—I don't—I can't remember the last time we licensed something. We tend to acquire audiobook rights on the head contract for all of our acquisitions. We aim for that, um, and then again, we go back and get rights for significant backlist titles um, to build up the list. Um, but we also get rights for titles that we publish in tandem with other international publishers, in particular whether we're buying masters from another publisher that has produced the audio um, in their territory or selling ones that we have produced that then go uh, elsewhere in the world if we don't have world rights, for example. Um, and that's a significant part of our program. And also we work on shared titles with our colleagues in the UK and the US for Penguin Random House titles. So we have you know, those hundreds of books that kind of flow through over the course of a year. Um, we have licensed uh, select audiobook titles, one in particular 
which I think is pretty important at this time, is by Rithu Basran, um, The Authenticity Principle, and she's doing, uh, you know, very valuable work uh, in diversity and inclusion. Um, and we have also just, uh, we're about to uh, co-publish, well, do the audiobook with um, Dundurn Press for Seven by Farzana Doctor, um, and that's a very, very powerful story. So we're sort of exploring that, but we've had a lot to concentrate on um, with all of our titles and, you know, amongst all the imprints, it goes back a lot of years uh, for a lot of different authors. In terms mm -hmm. of distribution, um, I think uh, any of the titles that we produce are going to be in libraries as well as with all the audiobook vendors. And I think that, you know, authors find it a very compelling argument in terms of rights that, uh, you know, if they sign with us as is more and more um, uh, essential as we move further and further into producing audiobooks, that they will be available their books will be available as audio through libraries and on every retailer where we have the rights in a territory. Speaking of libraries and retail and how that opens up books to more people, let's talk a little bit about accessible audiobooks. What are the standards or best practices that you implement? And also in general, like how is accessibility currently or starting to be more incorporated into your workflow? So, um we do whether it's well especially when we get uh, an audiobook or a title uh, from another publisher that they want to produce uh, for them uh, we do an accessibility assessment on that uh, from the get-go um, and that is looking at identifying non-accessible content whether it's you know alt text for uh, images and, and graphs and whatnot uh, end notes bibliographies that kind of thing uh, and then our uh, Leah, our audiobooks manager, she advises the publishers about uh, what the what the best uh, idea might be to to uh, deal with that content, um, and they either implement those things in house or they hire someone uh, to do that work so that we get to the point where we actually have a, a final reading script uh, for the narrator um, that includes all those pieces, um, and there are times when you know, when we've hired two narrators, one uh, to do the bibliography, for example, and one to do the, the rest of the book, um, just because the bibliography is so extensive. Um, so, you know, sometimes that, that gets involved uh, or, or relates into the casting. I know as a publisher, I know a lot of publishers across Canada are doing this now. We are uh, looking to incorporate that earlier into the process, uh, into the editorial process now. Uh, in just in terms of, you know, knowing that the, that the image is in there, what is the alt text for that going to be, for example? Uh, mm -hmm. And just looking to, you know, make those accessibility considerations part of the part of the entire process um, right from the get go. So, you know, I think we might have to do less of that accessibility assessment down the road when that's in place. But, you know, these are changes that are that happen over time. And I'd agree. I think that we are really just exploring this uh, more robustly now, and we're starting to produce our first uh, fully accessible audiobooks, trying to keep in mind, as David says, you know, what are we giving that reflects entirely what the book is, whether it's additional content like Ed Notes or Footnotes, whether it's describing something that is there as, as, as a visual. Um, as I'm reading books now, I'm looking at it and going, okay, so there's a photo there, but oh, thank goodness the author actually described what her mother looked like in that photo back in, you know, whatever year it was in, in uh, 
her mother's life, things like that. Um, in the past, we've put out PDFs for people who, you know, for content such as graphs that, or things that weren't very uh, audio friendly. So we're definitely exploring new terrain with this and just trying to find the right ways. And I would say that I'm really grateful for David. Uh, we've already been talking about this and, and we're learning as we go. Um, and as far as I understand, there, uh, you know, there are people working hard on international standards for this. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that we meet that. And in the long run, that there's kind of a better technological solution for people who want all the aspects of an audiobook um, because they don't have access to it any other way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is the, the way of the future, absolutely. That's a great segue for me to talk more about the people. So not only the readers, but also from the authors, everyone in the studio or freelancing, depending on whether or not there's outsourcing going on. I'm curious to know about whether you each have a commitment to hire Black, Indigenous, or people of color, whether that's as an intern, employee, or studio owner. Yes. David, yes. We both do, I think, as should everyone right now. Um, yeah, I that, guess I would say, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a definite yes. Now, if you want more about how we're doing it, happy to uh, to go into that. I think, um, I guess I would start with saying that audiobooks do involve a lot of people and they involve a lot of real time. So a real person needs to, you know, read all those words. Real people need to help uh, cast and, and find the right voice. Real people need to edit and pull it all together. It's just a lot of people involved at every stage, which is, I think, sometimes people involved in audiobooks are much more... Um, vividly aware of how much real time it takes and how many people are involved. It's a very collaborative medium, I think I would say. Not that publishing isn't, but this one, you actually have to show up and sit in a studio and somebody is listening and, and paying attention uh, in that way. It's just a different kind of uh, way of working. Um, I would say for us, it starts with the team and in-house. I know that Penguin Random House has, uh, within the past year, changed its internship program so that the internships are longer and are paid with the intention of, uh, you know, uh, spreading the net and, and engaging people from uh, a variety, a greater variety of places. Um, and on our audiobook team right now, which is a total of seven people, three of them are former interns. Um, and so that's kind of a, a great ratio that we, if we open up the internship, that will help us in the future. The last time we hired a full-time uh, person, we tried really hard to get outside our usual places where we post and to uh, tap into a variety of different networks. Um, I did a lot more uh, pre-interview calls and, and outreach than I have ever done, I think, uh, well, than I've done at Penguin Random House before. Um, and thinking about that in terms of our freelancers, whether it's our directors or our engineers who are editing, um, I know Penguin Random House is looking at things on all different levels, including people we are partnering with in terms of everything from, you know, recording books and studios to uh, how we interact with freelancers. Um, I'm trying to think about uh, other ways that people are involved. Of course, uh, we involve authors a lot with uh, our audiobooks in terms of casting, but also making sure we get all the elements right. And we've always, I think, from day one, paid a lot of attention to matching the voice with the book. And that means everything from um, gender, uh, cultural uh, connections, uh, age, all those kinds of things. So the commitment to hiring narrators, if it's not the actor reading a book that comes from a different cultural perspective, uh, the commitment is absolutely to find the right voice um, and be uh, really aware uh, of what's needed, but also without, 
you know, limiting uh, actors and narrators to those titles either, just to make sure that the uh, the door is uh, as open as possible and that people can uh, can be there with us, with all the people who make these audiobooks. I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but uh, David, I think you've got the same story where there's a lot of different people playing, uh, in, you know, to make it all happen. Yeah, very much so. And you, you said it very well, Anne. Um, I mean, we've... We've only have two people uh, in house who are focused primarily on audiobooks, uh, and uh, and we do the same thing just in terms of internships uh, being paid, uh, and uh, and looking uh, for uh, Black, Indigenous, or people of color for those internships uh, to give that kind of training. Um, but yeah, a lot of the work that gets done on the audiobooks are uh, done by the narrators, by directors, by editors, by auditors, uh, and in each one of those instances, you know, that is, you know, we're looking for uh, diversity within that. And that's what's what is amazing to me is that the talent in this country. Mm. If we want to just talk about narrators and directors, the talent in this country is immense. And it is incredibly diverse. Uh, if you are looking for something, you know, um, uh, something in particular, there is going to be a lot of talented actors who who can step up to the plate and, and be there for you. And I think the thing about audiobook work is that is that we need to uh, we need to really get to know who's out there, and we need to give them work because it's that experience in doing audiobooks that is going to make our audiobook industry even better. It's going to lead to that to that actor, uh, that director getting more work. Um, and the other thing is, it's also, I think, about the books that, that are getting produced here, about mm-hmm. um, the kind of, of, of work that, you know, for us, that we are licensing uh, from other publishers to, to, to do. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to showcase the best of Canadian literature um, in, in all its diversity. And it's, it's incredible to me because part of our Bespeak program, we asked over 200 people, we said, what would be the top five books, uh, you know, Canadian authored books that, that haven't been done as audiobooks that you would like to see done? And the diversity of, of, of what came out of that, uh, I think, spoke volumes about what it is that we as a country have to offer. So, if you know, if you look at our Bespeak list, you will see... Uh, you know, our number one title right now is Policing Black Lives, uh, Robin Maynard's book, which uh, Marcia Johnson narrated. Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars um, uh, by uh, Kai Cheng Tom, uh, In Search of April Rain Tree, uh, you know, um, Johnny Appleseed, Islands of Decolonial Love. These are the kind of audio books. I'm just looking at sort of our, our, our top books there um, that. Uh, that people are responding to and that, that bespeak list. And I, I think that uh, speaks a lot to, I get the, also the Canadian marketplace and, and what audiobook listeners want to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, it's, it's very much uh, embedded as, as much as we can make it into, into what we think about, how we plan and, and, then, and what, we, uh, what we implement. May I, may I just add one thing to that? I was just going to say that I think we're all looking at kind of an accounting right now, an understanding of where we are, where we need to do a lot better in publishing, uh, in individual companies, uh, in departments, all that kind of stuff, and placing kind of where we are and what spaces we need to um, probably give up in some ways in terms of, and I'm speaking as a, a white woman of a certain age, um, and in my team, out of the seven of us, I think two people would identify as uh, people of color, 
but there's so much more work that needs to be done. And we're working in an industry that has, you know, really high uh, needs for education generally uh, and formal education in a lot of cases, not always. And also um, isn't always as remunerative as some other uh, industries and some other uh, kinds of work. So, you know, really high skills and wishing uh, we could pay much more to get everybody uh, to a great place in expensive cities and all that kind of thing. So I don't know, I just wanted to throw that out as in, uh, you know, I think it's really an industry-wide uh, accounting in a way and and accountability for sure. Um, I, I don't know if this adds much to what David was saying, but I think every opportunity we have, um, you know, like let's seize that opportunity. And in terms of narrators and directors, an enormous wealth and then we really just started this industry within the last five years in Canada, I think, really, if you put everybody together. And so most people who walk into our studios, uh, either, either the studios that we work with outside of our own building and the one that we built after a little while, um, most of them had never read an audiobook before. Uh, very few people had done this. And so now we're seeing people come back. And you mentioned Marcia David. She's also directing for us. She's read a book for us. If we all work together to make sure that we you know, give as many opportunities as possible, knowing that there aren't quite as many Canadians as there are some, uh, you know, populations in different parts of the world. Yeah, I think I think that's, I mean, you hit on the fact that, you know, the, the relative, you know, youth of this industry uh, provides opportunities that I, I know when I look around book publishing, that's where the real change needs to happen. And that's, that's where we're putting in a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, reflection and, and interrogation in terms of what needs to change and, 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 and trying to make that change happen. Um, I find that the book publishing has to catch up a little bit to what audiobooks are, are doing. Hmm. Interesting. We're talking a lot about opportunities in this industry and also how much Canada has to offer, especially geographically. And I think maybe also, especially in our new COVID reality of remote working, where things have really opened up so much more. And you're talking about how and how is that we are in a moment of accountability. Does that play into your vision of what the future of audiobook, audiobook production looks like in Canada? Oh, I think absolutely. And I think, as David said, because we're a bit newer on the scene, we have not maybe, you know, kind of hopefully more open spaces to explore. Um, I think we're really lucky to be in audio uh, in the sense that even though COVID-19 has hit people uh, very, very hard with audio, we were able to adjust and start working remotely. We found, as David, I think, referenced earlier, that people had either home studios or a closet that was nicely decorated with quilts that worked until it became too hot. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, there were a lot of narrators who were adjusting and making sure that they were set up. There's some who are already set up. Um, we did move back into studios, but we still have directors working remotely, so we keep contact to a minimum. And it's all about audio. I was directing Margaret Atwood, reading her new book of poetry, Dearly, and I was at my dining room table, and she was in studio, carefully masked uh, with an engineer, and then going into this separate space with a, with a barrier and reading these uh, wonderful, wonderful poems. So audio gets back to the heart of it, which is a voice telling a story. We're talking right now. We're all, I, I can't see you. I can't see David. I can't see our listeners, but I can imagine them and I connect through the voice and the voice carries so much and gives you so much. So if with audio, we have been really fortunate to be able to, I think, ride the whatever i don't think waves is quite the right word but whatever this all this change and david you're much more succinct than me in terms of uh one word change 
that's pretty great. And most stories involve some kind of change. I guess we can connect there. But I would say that right now we have one person working in Vancouver who just, it was better for her to be there with her family situation. We have somebody working in Victoria on her own team. We are, I hope, going to over time be able to um, move beyond Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal as production sites. I mean, mm -hmm. we always do get authors into studios when they're in different places, and there are studios across every, the land. But certainly with post-production, um, you know, there are lots of opportunities, and any of them that we can take that, you know, involve geography, but also new ways of working that we're discovering, and the fact that audio just, you know, you just press a few uh, keys and the audio moves somewhere. I don't want it to move too far beyond Canada, but it can move anywhere in Canada, if you ask me. Um, does that make sense, David? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you, you said it very well. I mean, we're, we're working with, you know, we're working with, I think this year I counted 14 different studios across Canada. Mm. Um, and then they really can be, just in terms of the studios, they really can be, you know, uh, all across Canada. But, but what you're talking about is, it, I liken it to um, catching up in some ways to the way things work in the U.S., where there's this wealth of narrators who have set up home studios in the U.S., and we don't have that as much in Canada. People have done it. There certainly is a lot of a lot in Canada already, um, but that was primarily being done for an American, uh, you know, for American production. But now we've got the situation where we've we've got this burgeoning amount of production happening in Canada, and a lot of people, for us anyway, were going into studio to to record. But then COVID hit, and on one level. You know, it still is, a, as Anne was saying, a, a place where people are in a room all by themselves. So you can go in safely and, and record. But a lot of people were now setting up their own studios because of this. And there's a, there's a technological obstacle that we have to overcome. Uh, and we're in the midst of doing that as people get set up or people have been set up. But once done, now we, then we'll have that infrastructure of home mm -hmm. narrators that we could draw upon. Mm -hmm. It will just be a, a, a great thing future is shiny, we hope, even though there are some setbacks along the way. <laughs> yeah, this is a positive from it, I, I think. I think that bit about setting up the infrastructure is so great, especially considering how useful the audiobook industry in Canada is. Like, it's only, you were saying, about five years, so just think about how we're setting up foundation for years to come. It's exciting. Yeah, it's very <laughs> exciting, and that's, that's a thing I think, I think, you know, as more and more people get involved in it, uh, will become more and more mature, I would say, as an industry. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where, for me, that's the long-term goal. Thank you both so much for your insights, your time, and your voice. Thank you. It was great to yeah, talk to you. you. We'd like to acknowledge the Government of Canada for their financial support to the Canada Book Fund. Thank you, listeners. We hope you enjoy this episode and that you join us again in the future. Bye.